Come on, put your hands together. I saw Satan fall like lightning. I saw darkness run for cover. But the miracle that I just can't get over, my name is registered in heaven. I believe in signs and wonders. I have resurrection power. Still the miracle that I just can't get over, my name is registered in heaven. Together, sons and daughters, oh, with blood and washed in water, sing the praises of the Spirit, Son and Father. Our God will finish what He started. Our God will finish what He started. This is my testimony from there. proud of her. So, Grace, if you'll repeat after me, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and I accept him as my personal Lord and Savior. As my personal Lord and Savior. Okay, Grace, because of your confession, your mom's going to baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit for the forgiveness of your sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. 
Amen. You can have a seat this morning. Well, thank you for being here today. We have uh, an opportunity uh, to take communion. But first, um, I wanted to share a story. I, I heard uh, Pastor Tony Evans. He's from out of uh, Texas. He was talking about when he first started in his ministry, he was he was traveling. He had to go all over the U.S. and maybe all over the world. Uh, but he would travel sometimes by airplane. When he was starting out, he you know had a small airplane. So his wife would never travel with him. She didn't like to fly. So uh, one time uh, he was getting ready to go somewhere. And she had her bags packed and everything. And uh, he said, uh, honey, why are you going, you know, with me this time? You know, usually you never fly whenever we go somewhere. And she said, well, and he said, let me guess. I guess your God is bigger now. You know, maybe he wasn't as big then. And she said, no, your plane got bigger. <laughs> and uh, so he laughed about it, but he, you know, he talked about how um, sometimes we don't see God as big as he can be. Sometimes we put God in a box sometimes. And uh, I want to read a passage of scripture. It's in Luke. Luke chapter 11, verse 9 says, So I say to you, it's Jesus talking, so I say to you, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be open. And it says, which of your fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will he give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will he give him a scorpion? If you then, though we are evil, know how to give good gifts your children, how much more your Father in heaven will give Holy Spirit to those who ask Him. Our God is a big God, amen. In Ephesians 3.20 says this, Now to Him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine, according to His power that is at work within us, to Him be the glory in the church and in Jesus Christ throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. I want to challenge you today. God gave his son as a gift. When he died on the cross, he poured out his blood for us. What a special gift that was. So as we pray, you bow your heads. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for that special gift, Lord. You're a heavenly father that longs to give good gifts. And so, Father, I just pray that our church would be challenged today. To understand, Lord, that we can come boldly to your throne. We can cry out to you, Lord, and when you hear us. So we thank you today, Lord. And as we take that cup and that piece of bread, Father, may we remember that awesome gift that you gave. Amen.
Bradley could eat his heart out. Um, Well, good morning. It's awesome to be here this morning, be able to be up in front of you and be able to share the word with you this morning. If you have your Bibles, open them up to Galatians chapter 6. It was Palm Sunday, and a little boy who loved to go to church was sick, so he had to stay home with his mother while his dad and his siblings went to church. And of course, it was Palm Sunday, and their church had the tradition of giving out everyone a palm branch. Well, they brought all the kids brought home these palm branches, and little brother's jealous, and he says, what are the palm branches for? And dad said, well, as Jesus passed by, they waved the palm branches above his head and then threw them down before his feet. The little boy says, that figures, the one Sunday I'm not there, Jesus shows up. Well, I believe Jesus is here this morning. Amen. Now, Paul had established the church in Galatia during his second missionary journey, but he then moved on. But as later on, he received word that Jewish Christians were trying to force their will on the rest of the church by telling them that they had to follow circumcision, all 613 laws in Judaism, and to continue with all the different dates and years and festivals and so on that the Jews celebrated. Well, he's writing his letter to Galatia for them not to adopt these practices. Their righteousness depended not on observing the Jewish law, but upon the grace of God made manifest through the death and resurrection of Jesus. That's where we pick up in chapter 6 here of Galatians. Let's read it together. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their own load. Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. And whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in well-doing, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we don't give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially those who belong to the family of believers. Now, I like the way that the message has verse 1. Live creatively, friends. If someone falls into sin, forgivenly restore them, saving your critical comments for yourselves. You might be needing forgiveness before the day's out. Now, if there's anything that Christians are known for in this world, it's not love, it's judgment. Isn't that right? I mean, most people would say, oh, you Christians, all you care about is what you do and what you can't do, and you're always complaining about things. But understand here that Paul is not talking to non-believers. He is talking to believers. He wants us to see that it's believers that are supposed to help each other. Have you ever been to a place like Louisville where there's so much trash on the side of the road that it's literally an eyesore? Well, down in Peru, in Peru City, they had this problem where trash was just being thrown everywhere to the point to where there were huge garbage dumps in the middle of the street and men would go and they would urinate on it. It just got really nasty. They couldn't figure out what to do to stop it. Well, then they decided, you know, maybe we will paint pictures of Jesus on murals that overlook 
the trash dump. It worked. It seems that when Jesus is watching, people don't want to sin. That makes you wonder about our own lives, doesn't it? Is Jesus always watching us? Come on. He is, isn't he? He's always watching us. Now, I think that we would all agree here that we are sinners, correct? Now, of course, Scripture says in 1 John, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Now, I know about you, but there obviously there are some sins that are obvious that everyone can see. As in 1 Timothy 5 says, remember the sins of some people are obvious, leading them to certain judgment. But there are others whose sins will not be revealed until later. In the same way, the good deeds of some people are obvious, and the good deeds done in secret will someday come to light. Now, like I said, there are some sins that you can just see. You know, if you know a man is married and you see him out on a date with another woman, you know he's probably doing something he shouldn't be. Okay? If someone is embezzling from their company, most people would never see that, would we? So there are some sins that obvious we can look at and say, hey, that's a sin. The difference is you don't see people walking around with big signs saying, I'm an embezzler. I am a embezzler. You don't see things like that. And because sometimes sins are obvious, it seems to be those that we seem to jump on the most. I like what Paul says, looking to yourself so that you also aren't tempted. You know, if I go to talk to somebody about their drug abuse. I'm not tempted by drugs. That's just not something that tempts me. But there are other things that I talk to people about that, yes, that would tempt me. You see, the problem becomes that we sometimes, when we go to someone who we know is in sin, pride builds up in us. We seem to think that we are on the high horse. We're the ones who could judge. We have a tendency to sum people up just by looking at them. I mean, come on, we all watch people, don't we? Okay, we see the people with the seven different colors in their hair, and, you know, we see people that, you know, maybe have a thousand tattoos, all those different things. None of those things matter, but we seem to sum people up based on what we see. You all know who Leonardo da Vinci is. Well, he painted the Last Supper. Let me put that up there. It took him seven years to complete this painting. He took hundreds and hundreds of young men, and they were viewed carefully to represent the apostles and Christ. When it was decided that da Vinci would paint this great picture... After taking all these young men and viewing them and looking at each one, trying to find the right personality for each character. Finally, after weeks of laborious search, a young man of 19 years old was selected to portray the model of Christ. For six months, da Vinci worked on his leading character for his famous painting. And then the following six years, da Vinci continued his labors for each one of the apostles, with space being left for the last apostle, Judas, who betrayed Jesus. After many discouraging experiences, searching for someone who would represent Judas, someone whose appearance might be like they just got out of a dungeon or something. Somebody who just looks so rough and archaic and just, he he tried and he couldn't find someone. And finally, someone was brought to him from the dungeon in Rome who was sentenced to die for his crimes of murder. Da Vinci made a trip to Rome at once. This man was brought out of his imprisonment in Milan and was led out to the light of the sun. 
And there Da Vinci saw before him a dark, swathly man in his long, shaggy, unkept hair spiraled all over his face, which betrayed a character of viciousness and complete ruin. As the last famous painter had found the person he wanted, he sat down by getting permission from the king for him to be brought to Milan. So he is brought to Milan. He spends months painting Judas. And finally, when he was done, he turned to the guards and he says, I finished. You may take the prisoner away. And as the guards were leading the prisoner away, he suddenly broke loose from their control. He rushed up to Da Vinci and he cried, Da Vinci, look at me. Don't you recognize me? Da Vinci said, I never saw you before, before you came out of the dungeon. And the man says, oh, how far I have fallen. Da Vinci, I am the same man that you chose to paint for Christ. Oh, how easy it is for all of us to succumb to temptation and fall into sin. We're also called to bear one another's burdens. We're supposed to go big and help each other. We're supposed to call, we're called to help for those that are in need. Whether it's somebody in our own community who needs food or needs help paying a bill, or it's for people all over the world. Like when we support Jason and them just left to go to Poland. Poland of all places right now. Or Guatemala. Or Dominican Republic or Uganda, no matter where it is we send people, we are helping to lend a hand. But there are a lot of people in our lives that will show up all the time that we need to help. One of the most famous explorers of the modern century was Scott of the Antarctic. Now, sadly, Scott and his party died during their trip. But only recently have scientists begin to understand perhaps why they died. It seems they starved themselves to death while eating. They're going, now what in the world does he mean by that? Well, it sounds like nonsense, but it's not. Scientists tell us the need to take in at least 2,000 calories a day in order to survive. Now, Scott and his party took three times as many. Three times as many calories, 6,000 calories a day. Now you think that would be enough, but you see it wasn't. You see, to do the really demanding work of pulling their sleds and all their equipment all around on the Antarctic, they needed six or seven times the amount of calories a day. That would be 14,000 calories. Now, I wonder if we'd get that with one Big Mac, but that's not the point. <laughs> Despite the fact that Scott and his team took three times as many calories, they all lost about 70 pounds apiece. Now, I could lose 70 pounds and you wouldn't notice it, but um, some people, 70 pounds would, would kill them, literally. You see, some people need extra help caring for life's burdens. And it is our job as Christians to help step up and to help them. Now, verse 3, Paul said, If anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. So Jesus basically calls on us to get over ourselves and to do good. There's a quote I love. It says, pride is the dandelion of the soul. The root goes deeply. Only a little left behind sprouts again. Its seeds lodge in the tiniest encouraging cracks. It flourishes in good soul. And the danger of pride is that it feeds on goodness. Now, I know you all know people with pride, but these are some of my favorite quotes that have to do with pride. This telephone has too many shortcomings to be seriously considered as a means of communication. The device is inherently of no value to us. 
Western Union in 1876. (laughs) Heavier than air flying machines are impossible. Everything that can be invented has been invented. Airplanes are interesting toys, but of no military value. The wireless music box, the radio, has no imaginable commercial value. Who would pay for a message sent to nobody in particular? I'm just glad it'll be Clark Gable who's falling on his face and not Gary Cooper. And Gary, on his decision not to be the mail road and gone with the wind. Uh, for those of you that are younger, Gone with the Wind is a really famous movie. Um, <clears throat> I think there would be a world market for maybe five computers. IBM in 1943. Computers in the future may weigh no less than 1.5 tons. There is no reason anyone would want a computer in their home. And lastly, after building a computer using Atari parts, Two men approached Atari asking to be funded just to join Atari as employees. They were turned down. After going to Hewlett-Packard, they were turned down because they hadn't graduated college. That was Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak, founders of Apple Computers. Jobs sold his Volkswagen and Wozniak sold his computer. And with the $1,300 that gave them, they formed Apple Computers. The company was named at Apple in memory of a happy summer that Jobs had been working in an orchard. Go big. Why do good? Well, doing good is ultimately your destiny. We are called to live like Christ. We are called to take up our cross and to follow him. And that often means that we have to do things that we don't like to do. But you ever get known that satisfaction you get when you know you've really helped somebody? Isn't that an awesome feeling? Jesus Christ came to die for us to restore us to the way that we were meant to be. As Titus 1.3 says, remind the people to be ready to do whatever is good. You need, if you're married, to do good to your spouse. That's the person you're called mostly to do good to. That means you tell each other you love each other. That means you do things for one another. You help each other. You never tear each other down. That's one of the biggest things that really, that I mourn sometimes when I have to counsel with couples is to see how they bicker and argue and try and tear each other down. We are called to build each other up. And trust me, I married up. We should also do good to our parents. There was a young man who went to one of these big men's gatherings and he began to feel a little guilty and he came home and he decided he was going to call his dad. So he picks up the phone, he calls dad and his dad answers and says, hello son, he says, I'll get mom for you. No, no, wait a minute, dad, I want to talk to you. Dad says, what do you need, money? He says, no, Dad, I don't need any money. You you see, I went to this men's conference over the weekend, and I I really learned that that I need to reflect on you and and realize how hard you worked over all those years, that you you helped me every time that I needed help. You put me through college, and I am partly the man I am today because of you. His dad was silent. And he says, Dad, what I really wanted to say is thank you. And I love you. His dad says, son, have you been drinking? (laughs) 
saying thank you to our parents shouldn't be that difficult of a job. And I know if you're a young person, you're a child or you're a teenager, you may think your parents are the most illogical, unreasonable people in the world. But when you get become a parent yourself, you're going to look back and say, you know, they weren't as bad as I thought they were. And my mom was right a whole lot more times than I want to give her credit for. I know she'll be watching this sermon, so hi, mom. And um, <laughs> do good for your neighbor. Now, Jesus answered the question, you know, who is my neighbor? He was asked who his neighbor was. Jesus tells the story of the Good Samaritan. We all know people that are down and out. We all know people that need help. We can see when people are hurting. And it's our job to step up. In the story, Mark tells a story about Jurassus, who was a synagogue leader. And his daughter was dying. And he came to Jesus and said, Can you please come to my home and heal my daughter? She is dying. And Jesus says, sure. So Jesus goes and he walks through the middle of the city and everybody had heard about his healing power. So people are mobbing him. They're trying to grab him. They're trying to touch him. They're trying to get next to him. They're trying to listen to him. And the disciples are trying to push people away and push people away. And one woman, it said, who had an issue of blood, she could not stop bleeding. She said, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, I will be healed. And so she makes her way through the crowd. She pushes and she shoves and she finally makes Jesus. She grabs a hold of the hem of his garment. She lets go. And Jesus says, who touched me? And the disciples say, what do you mean who touched you? You've got all these people around trying to mob you. What do you mean who touched you? No, someone touched me. And Jesus stopped. And he turned around and he looked for this woman. And she came and she fell down at his feet. And he said, your faith has healed you. Jesus never looked at interruptions as being true interruptions. He looked at interruptions as being God at work. Does God have the right to interrupt you? We call him our Lord. We call him our Savior. And, well, but will we be interrupted? Can we be interrupted by God? One of my seminary professors, Dr. Blevins, who I absolutely loved, who's passed away now, told the story in class one day that he knew that during the Vietnam War, you know, there was a lot of threat for, about martial law being imposed. And he said that he had an important message that he had to get to his church, but he just felt like people in the church weren't going to listen. So he arranged to have a colonel in the army come in with some of his troops into the church with their M16s. And he had them come in and the colonel came to the front of the church and he said these words. He said, the United States has passed martial law. Christianity is now illegal. You have one opportunity to leave this building or you will be shot. The three course of his congregation got up and walked out the back door. You see, I believe that if someone came in here and did that this morning, that most of us would stay. I believe that if we had the choice of living or dying for Jesus Christ, we would choose death. But to be interrupted? No way. Don't interrupt me during my UK basketball game. Don't interrupt me while the Steelers are playing. We don't like interruptions. This week, I, you know, I told you I, I read a book a week, and one night this week, God kind of led me to read a book about marriage. And I've read this book three or four times before, and I was like, God, do I really have to read this again? Okay, so I sat down and I read the whole thing, and I'm sitting in my office, and I get a call 
from someone who's having difficulty in their lives and, and they really need to talk to somebody. And I'm working on my sermon and I'm like you, I don't like being interrupted. Especially not when I'm in the middle of doing something. And I said, okay, come, come later on today. So a person came in and I sat down with them and they were telling me all the problems they were having in their marriage. And God said, that's the reason I had you reread that book. God has the right to interrupt us. No matter when it happens, we are called to listen. Once there was a Scottish farmer, and one day while farming, he could hear something screaming out in his bog. And he's like, oh, I don't really want to stop and go. All right, I'll go look. So he walks out. He sees this little boy who's stuck in this bog. Okay, up to his knees. He can't move. So this farmer gets his little rowboat and he goes out and he pours, pulls the boy out and he goes back up to the shore and he gets him all cleaned off and sends him on his way. The next day, a nobleman comes to the door and said, you saved my son's life. I want to give you this reward. Man says, no, no, no. I don't need a reward from you. I don't need anything from you. And his little son, little farmer's son, came to the door and he says, is this your son? Farmer goes, yes. He says, well, let me give him the opportunity of an education like my son. They're about the same age. They can go to school together. So the man agreed. The boy was taken to London to a boarding school where him and this other boy grew up. And the farmer's son grew up and he became Sir Alex Fleming the discoverer of penicillin. Well, one day the nobleman's son got pneumonia and he came to Dr. Fleming and Dr. Fleming gave him the penicillin and guess what? He was healed. He was healed of his pneumonia. That man was Winston Churchill. You see, you never know when God interrupts you who it is whose life you might impact. You never realize how doing one good thing can have an impact on the entire world. Will you accept a life that is bigger than you? Now, one of the ways that I see so many people who come to me and talk to me about our church and talk about how God touched them, talked about how they were led this way and how people prayed for them, nearly all of them are in life groups. Nearly all of them are in life groups. You see, if you want to be connected to a part of a loving body in this church, you should be in one of our ABFs, one of our adult Bible fellowships, or one of our life groups where you are meeting and studying the Bible, having people pray for you, having people love on you, having people walk with you and do life with you. Do life with you. So my bottom line this morning is, Lord, am I ready to be interrupted? Show me someone I can do good for today. Is my belief that if you want to share the gospel with somebody, you don't have to go to Kroger and stand on a chair and use a microphone and preach the gospel. Although I have nothing wrong with what they're doing there, but that's not the way to do it. You see, if you open your heart to share the gospel, to do good with somebody, all you have to do is say, Lord, help me see someone. I guarantee he will send you somebody. You might be in in line at the grocery store and run into an old friend and you say, how are you doing? Oh, I'm really struggling. I'm going through this cancer. Let me pray for you. And if you have the guts to do it, pray for them right then. If not, go home and pray for them. Never tell somebody, I'll pray for you, and then don't do it. Pray for them. 
Then, once they start to feel better and start to be healed, connect the dots for them. Show them, it must have been the prayers. It must have been Jesus that's helped you through this. Are you willing and ready for God to interrupt you? To show you someone that you need to do good for? Let's pray together. Father God, I pray for everyone here this morning. Father, I thank you that your spirit is among us. And Father, I pray that you would convict our hearts so that when we see someone who is hurting, someone who is down, someone who needs prayer, Father, that we could step into that gap and be the one who does good. Father, I pray that you would send us all interruptions this week. That you would show us where your hand will work through us. Your word says you are always at work. Father, I just praise you and thank you for your work. And I pray that we will see interruptions as being from you. We ask this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. If God is speaking to you this morning, I would pray that you would respond. You can go back to the decision room. There's somebody back there to be able to talk to you. If not, you can come up to me after we're done this morning. Let's continue and let's worship this morning. church.